Welcome to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Listen and grow as Dell questions the status quo, encourages you to think differently, and empowers you to make a better life. Get ready as Dell challenges core beliefs, seeks the truth, and reveals the roadmap to the lifestyle you really want. And now your host, multi-millionaire, national award-winning investor, CEO and founder of Lifestyles Unlimited, Del Wamsley. Welcome to Del Wamsley Radio Show, where the hype ends and the help begins. I'm your host, Del Wamsley, and as always, we're working on your financial freedom. Uh, today, my friends, is the return to the mailbag. But before we get to that, um, I've got a topic that I've been asked to touch on, and it's pretty broad topic, but I think it's pretty important, and I'm going to try to tackle it. What is the topic? The topic is, what does it mean to work on your business and not in your business? Well, many people get this wrong. They get it wrong from my presentation. They hear what I have to say, and then they take it a whole different direction than what it was really meant to be. So I need to clarify it and make sure that you understand it. Let's start by understanding this, that there's a book out there called E-Myth, E as in entrepreneur is what the E stands for, E-Entrepreneurial Myth, which means that many, many people believe they're entrepreneurs. They think because they start a business that they're entrepreneurial. And at the strictest sense of things, you, you could say that's probably true. Okay. You go out there on your own, you say, I want to start up a business. The message that this book teaches, and the one which I try to get across, which obviously we're having this discussion, I don't think I've gotten it across very well, is that the e-myth believes that most people don't really own a business, they own a job. And what it means is that, let's say you're a painter and you're working for a painting company, you say, you know, I'm going to go out on my own. So you go out on your own and you're a painter. Well, what does that mean? You're still painting. It means now, besides being a painter, you've got to find customers, arrange projects, buy materials, maybe even hire some staff. You have to do accounting. You have to follow taxes. Uh, you have to carry insurance. You've got all these additional problems you didn't have when you're an employee, but now you're a painter, and all those things besides. So the E-Myth book is basically saying, this is wrong. This isn't entrepreneurial. And they have this long dissertation where they explain that in clarity. The reality is that most entrepreneurs do start working in their business instead of on their business. The successful entrepreneurs eventually pull themselves out of their business extract themselves out of the business. What the e-myth says, if you're truly an entrepreneur and not just someone who owns a self-employed business, then you don't even ever start in the business. You never have anything to do with the business. Now, I understand that. And I'm going to take you up a long level of steps here as to how you get to that point in your life to be able to be an entrepreneur. Because a lot of people believe they can come right out of working from corporate America and because of this conversation about being an 
entrepreneur and not having a self-employed business that they want to jump right into being an entrepreneur. Well, let's discuss that. When I first started buying houses, um, I would buy them and do everything myself. There was really nothing I didn't do. So I would do the maintenance and or the rehab, fix them up, get them ready to go. I had a van uh, that I carried all different kinds. I had paint set up, so like I had them in these uh, plastic containers. So I had my paint tools, I had my plumbing tools in another toolbox, um, had my carpet repair and and or cleaning tools. I had all these different tools. So and I had a whole plan when somebody would move out, I would go in. I had step by step approach to how I did it, so that I wasn't doing one thing that would end up getting undone later on, right? So you'd trash the place out first. Then you would do any major repairs because, you know, any repairs would leave tremendous mess. Um, then you would clean that mess out. Then you would paint because the paint, you know, would leave mess again. Then once the painting was done, then you would go back and clean the carpet last type of a deal and mop the floors and clean the kitchens and so on and so forth. I was doing all that when it first started out, when I first started out. And it was no big deal because I only, you know, had to do that every once in a while when somebody moved out. Something would break. Most of the time, it was something that I could fix myself. And a lot of times, interestingly enough, it was stuff that wasn't even broken. So I didn't really need, it was pretty easy to do, and I didn't really need to have anybody else, so I saved money. And that's the problem with self-employed people, is that you make a lot more profit when you do everything yourself, but you're not making money because of your investment. So here I was with these single-family houses. I went to duplexes and to fourplexes, but when I owned these 10 duplexes, I found that I could take someone on site that lived there and give them the managerial position. Um, They didn't have to make any decisions as a manager. They just simply had to be my arms, my legs, my eyes, and my ears. I didn't know I had no longer the need to drive over there anymore. And that was the first separation from working in my business to working on my business. Now, if something came up, somebody wanted to lease, they'd see the sign. The sign had the manager's telephone number, and they also could go right to the manager there, um, which one of the units they lived in their unit would also double as an office that they could uh, meet people. And um, they did all the leasing. They would do the applications and everything, send them over to me, and I'd make the decision. So I was the asset manager at this point. I was making decisions. I wasn't doing anything. I was making decisions. Um, we had uh, vendors. We had guys that mowed the yards. If you know needed to mow the yard, we had painters. Uh, when someone moved out, uh, the manager would call the painter, get the painter in there, uh, make ready guys. We had, you know, just about anything that needed to be done, there was a vendor that did it. I no longer was doing any of the work. So I pulled myself out of all the physical labor that was attached just with 10 units. But you have to understand, I still made all of the decisions every single day if something had to be decided. Now, that didn't mean I had to take activity, you know. Daily, do we pick up the trash? Yes. I don't need to call them and tell them that. Uh, you know, do we answer the phone? Yes. You know, you don't need to tell them that. I mean, you understand, they're making logical decisions on how to operate the property without me. But when something comes up that's a question, should we or should we not do this, they would call me into the situation. So 
that was really my first reality that real estate could be something you could expand on because there's no limit if you don't have to go there, right? The next thing that happened was is that I took that up to another deal where I owned 15 duplexes together in a circle. I own the whole circle of that street, and a cul-de-sac is really what it was, but it was a giant circle with 15 duplexes, 30 units. And they had an on-site manager, and I had landscape guy, and I had all the vendors and all that stuff. And again, I did nothing. Um, but I had a guy that was my uh, asset manager. So we had an on-site manager and another guy that was partnering with me in the deal who was the asset manager. So I really didn't do anything in this particular deal. Uh, he did everything. And uh, he made all the decisions and so on and so forth. And he'd consult me if there was something, you know, monetary big because I was a partner in the deal. But I didn't really have to do any of the operations in the deal. So we go on up and we get into our first really nice apartment, um, 64-unit apartment. And now I have a manager and a full-time maintenance man. Now I've got staff. Once you have staff, once you have a full-time manager and a full-time maintenance man, Everything gets done on a daily basis. You have a landscape crew that comes in and does your landscaping. You got a maintenance guy. Every time there's a call, he goes and fixes it. If it's something he can't fix, then they call a vendor to come in and fix it. Uh, the manager leases everything, even makes the decision on who they will lease to if you want them to, if they're good enough. If they're not, you still make them just go through the process and do you for a final uh, acceptance, and, and I still believe in final acceptances on leases 99% of the time. It's only a few times that I've ever had a manager that was good enough that I'd accept their decision on who to put into the place. And this is where it really starts to segment. Because once I got that 64 unit, I bought the 68 unit across the street and the 88 unit right next to that. So I had 132 units, I think it is, if I remember right. And I had a manager that ran two of them, the ones right across the street, the 64 and 68. And then I had another manager that ran the 88. I had maintenance guys, one maintenance guy for each place. And now all of a sudden I had a management company. Now I had staff. And now I became a management company. I had to have a company to keep the employees in because you don't want the employees to be a part of the LLCs that are, uh, you know, the owners of the actual assets themselves. So now I'm running a company, and in that company, if you look on the org chart, I'm the president and CEO, but I'm not anything else. Um, but in reality, I am a supervisor of the managers. I'm the next level um, management claw or cog in the wheel where when the managers, there was two managers and three maintenance men, any of them had a decision. The maintenance man would go to the manager. The manager couldn't figure out the decision. They'd come to me. I was still in there for a few decisions. Um, but what I really did, what my job was at that point was to hire and fire. I hire and fire the managers and the maintenance people. And the, I'd let the manager hire the rest of the staff. Uh, landscape people or made whatever they wanted to use. That was up to them. But there it is. Now I've got employees and now I have a management company. Now the next step for people, and this is where people lose it, is that they start their business and they are not the management company. They never learn how to hire and fire the staff. 
They never learn how to control payroll and what you pay people. They don't really understand what people need to get paid to hire good people. Um, they never understand uh, supplies and what they really cost and vendors and how to negotiate deals with vendors to get fair prices and to get good vendors. So they don't understand the management company aspect of the business, and they start by hiring a management company. And that's where this whole discussion is supposed to start. The discussion comes down to the point that you, as an entrepreneur, not a self-employed business person, want to start by buying real estate and using a management company. What you need to understand is you're 100% at risk that the management company doesn't know what they're doing. Or if they do, they just don't do it correctly. Why would a management company not do it correctly? Number one, because they don't know how to do it correctly. Say, Dell, these guys should know more than we do. They do know more than you when you first start. But they don't know more than an entrepreneur who knows their own business. These people have a silo that they that they care about, and that silo is their employees. The people, that's all the management company is. A management company has no walls, buildings, owns no assets, owns nothing except people. It hires the people. So it's all people, employee-centric, which means they don't care if you profit or not. There is no profit incentive for them whatsoever to operate your business. None. That is the key that we need to cover here. And when we come back, we'll dig a little deeper into that problem. We'll be right back with the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. to creating the lifestyle you really want. Keep listening. The Dell Wamsley Radio Show returns in moments. When you look at the effects of what happened in 2008 and you compare it to what we are hopefully coming out of right now, real estate has definitely shown its resiliency. It has provided for people not only a place to live, but a place to work, a place to raise their children, a place to teach their children, a place to prepare all of their meals. And that's really where the rubber meets the road, is that there are, are two things that people have to have, and they strive very hard to have them. And that's a roof over their head and food on the table. And if you are investing in something related to either of those two things, you are going to have a winning strategy. And in addition to that, you're providing something of value to the people around you. And creating a win-win situation while creating wealth and passive income for yourself is the best life you can get. Real estate is resilient. You should have real estate in your portfolio. Join us for the next live online free workshop. Register at lifestylesunlimitedworkshop.com. You're hearing the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more life-changing knowledge? Access our podcast and listen on demand at lifestylesunlimited.com under the radio tab. Now your host, Dell Wamsley. Welcome back to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Today I'm discussing the entrepreneurial myth 
and um, what it really means to work on your business and not in your business. As we went to break, we're talking about now we're looking at buying an apartment complex and using a management company to manage it. And this is where we really have the real problems begin. If you own your own apartment complex and you're operating it, you care whether there's profit or not. And so um, as you go through this stuff and you talk to people, you see that, that A, number one, they don't know how to run a business, and B, number two, they hire a management company that won't run it the correct way because, or they don't know how to run it correctly, and now you've got a disaster. And when they have a disaster and they come back to us, inevitably my staff, my consultants, and my mentors go, why did you do all that? That's None of that's in our training class. And they go, well, I didn't take the training classes, or I didn't think they were relevant because I hired this management company. Or, secondly, what happens is they say, I took all the classes, but when I went to the management company, they said, it doesn't really work that way in the real world, and they're not going to do it that way. They don't do it that way. So instead of hiring a management company that would do it the way we taught them it should be done, they just go, ahead, go along with the management company and let them do whatever they want to do. And I'll tell you what, I could go on and on and on and on about how management companies rip you off in so many different ways. And or if it's not overtly ripping you off, it's covertly ripping you off with their practices that are so poor that they run your business into the ground. Now, take a management company that is bad and add to it an owner who is bad, and now you've got an owner telling them to cheap out everything, and a management company that only cares about paying their employees, where all your fees are too high, or you tell them not to hire good people so you can get them for cheap, and you get them on the cheap, but they're terrible people, and you have turnover, massive employee turnover, you have theft, and you have all kinds of problems. These problems occur because of the management company or the owner, which is you know, in this particular case, acting as the asset manager, or both. Now, a lot of people believe that a property management company is the asset manager, and that's where it really, where the rubber meets the road. No, they are not. I have my own management company for my properties, and within that, my wife runs it. That's her position, and she doesn't, you know, go to the apartment complexes every day. She does her work from home in the office, but she's working, taking care of these businesses. And only when she needs me to make a major financial decision or a legal decision does she confer with me and say, you know, what do we think about this? How do we deal with this? And usually if it's big enough, she's got to come to me. we got to go to an attorney or we got to go to the CPA or or we, we'll go and ask and get some additional help if need be um, and get some other ideas, whatever. But those are the things asset management part of the team does. When you look at this, what and how do you get out of this? Well, you saw how I backed myself out of this from working all the way down in the beginning to all the way out. The difference was by the time I worked my way all the way out of it, I knew exactly how to do it. Another example as John uh, Boriak, who started here at 18 years of age. His dad made him buy some rent houses. Then he made him buy a small apartment, made him work in the small apartment complex. Then they sold the small one, bought a large one. He became a uh, management uh, supervisor and asset manager. 
And but in the beginning, he was running these houses and he was managing this apartment. He actually was managing it. He was in there. Now, I don't advocate managing, going in and being the manager, but his dad wanted this young kid to learn business. And his dad's a very good businessman, so it really worked out well for them. He learned business and then became an asset manager. So let's take it one step further here as we dive a little bit deeper the last of this segment here and go, okay, what do I do? I own real estate companies. Now, I'm, sh- I'm trying to show you the opposite of this. I own real estate companies. Now, I started with one real estate company. I had a broker. You have to have a broker because I'm not a broker. And I had real estate agents. And I was intimately involved in what that real estate company did with the broker. But I didn't do anything. I did nothing. I didn't even have a license. I couldn't do anything. But I was intimately involved in how it was managed by the broker. As I grew and I acquired more brokers and more brokers and more brokers, I let my executive vice president of Lifestyles Unlimited manage my brokers. So I'm not even managing the brokers anymore. So you say, well, Dell, there it is. You're not involved. I'm not an employee. Never have worked in the companies. Uh, I've never even been in charge of the people that work in the companies. But I own real estate companies. I now own somewhere between eight and ten, and I don't know exactly how many because we're building this out right now, these companies all over the country, these real estate sales companies. And um, they're putting them together as fast as, you know, a franchise could put something together. But we're not a franchise. I own them all. And I don't have anything to do with it. I have my executive vice president who manages my brokers who manage each and every one of these firms is a broker. In that sense, I purchase these companies right now without ever working on them enough to be the asset manager. Let's go to mortgage companies. I'm building out mortgage companies all over the country now. And I've never been a mortgage broker. Uh, well, I actually, when I was a young kid, that's not true. I used to lend. I used to be a lender. I used to work at a finance company when I was like 22, 23 years old. I did. So I actually have some insight to it, by the way. Uh, but I don't do anything in these companies. I have brokers that run these companies. So now I want to bring in another aspect of this whole thing. And that is how many layers of people do you want to insulate yourself from the actual business itself? So. I got a guy here sent me an article. He says, look, Dell, I'm about ready to retire, I think. I'm thinking about it. Uh, currently, I have 10 multifamily deals, and um, they're paying me. I've asked them. They're paying him money, right? And he says, I have another half a million or so to put into something. What should I do? Should I go back into more passive deals, or should I become an IRO? And... I told the guy he should become an IRO, and I think this is a, a lost art that uh, is what my whole company was started to teach people how to do is how to be an IRO, which, by the way, for those of you who don't know what that means, it's independent real estate owner. That means you own your own real estate and you manage your own real estate. So let's talk about this. Think about the profitability of your money. You've only got a half a million bucks to spend and you want to make enough to retire on. Well, Real estate, if purchased correctly, if managed correctly, uh, has 
for me, over the long haul of my life, proven to pay out somewhere between 10 and 20% return over the years. And uh, 10% cash flow, but you got principal reduction, you get tax benefits and all that. It comes out to be about 20% return. So when you look at this situation, now, by the way, I've made hundreds and hundreds of percent on deals, but we're talking about total money invested, you know, 30, 40 years of doing this, uh, 10, 20%. Now, if you've got a half a million dollars, that means you're going to make somewhere between fifty dollars and $100,000 a year if you do it correctly. But let's say now that you don't want to make that much money because you don't want to do anything. So you hire a management company. A management company has to pay employees so they can't get paid on profit. If there's no profit, you get paid nothing. What they do is they take between 5 and 10% of the sales right off the top. Now, you have to understand something. When you take it off the top, it has exponential results to the bottom line. So they literally, you hire a management company and they take 5 to 10% of the sales right off the top. You could have zero profit after they're done. You got a perfectly profitable business and they destroy it. Not even because they're bad, but simply because they're taking such a high fee that it wipes it out. Now let's go one step further. Let's leave the management company in place and let's go. I don't even want to be an asset manager above the property management company. So I go and become a passive in a syndication deal where somebody puts these deals together and you get into somebody else's deal. In that case, you're you're paying 5% to 10% to the management company. And then whatever profits left over, the asset manager, the syndicator is taking another anywhere from five to 10% off the bottom line. Well, five, 10, 20, I've seen higher than 20. I've seen guys outside lifestyles take 25, 30, 40%. Uh, in our company here, we have a rules and that everybody agrees to. I mean, we can't police it other than saying, if you won't agree to them, um, we can't have you be a member here as a what we call a lead. The syndicator tent can't take more than 20 percent of the profit. And that's astronomical. That's really egregious even in itself. So um, in that particular case, you think about it, you take five to 10 percent off the, the gross sales. Whatever's left, that lowers the profit a lot. Now you take whatever profit is and you give away five to 20 percent of that to a syndicator. You understand what that does to your your return. That drops your return down somewhere between anywhere from zero to 5%. It's just not worth it in many, many cases. Now you say, well, Del, you have syndication. Yes, we have syndicators, but the marketplace and the, the greed of the syndicators and the fact that the syndicators have gotten um, more and more and more aggressive because the markets got more and more aggressive, have paid more and more and more for properties to where the price is so high, the rates of return went down. When I first started syndicating it lifestyles deals, we were getting returns where even after the syndicator and the management company took their piece, the investors were still getting a 10% cash flow, which was an incredible cash flow because right now savings accounts are like, 10 times higher than they were. I remember a couple of years ago, you could get a savings account to pay you about a third of 1%. Right now, I'm getting 4.5% on my savings accounts, which is astronomical. But we were making 10. So that was like double that, right? Doing no work at all. 
and getting long-term capital gains, principal reduction, and tax benefits all at the same time. So it was an incredibly good investment at that time. But because of the greed of syndicators and the the massive increase in syndicators, what's happened is a lot of guys have come out of my program and decided they wanted to be syndicators. And what they do is they have educational programs out there where they say they're teachers, but they're really not teachers. They're really not teaching you to be a syndicator. They're getting you in there under the guise of teaching you to be a syndicator. And then 90% of the people that come thinking they might want to be a syndicator end up being passives uh, and passive putting their money in somebody else's deal. They're investors. That's how they run these things. And I could name these people off, but I don't know if that's even necessary. I think you know who they are, but many of them, beware, uh, are ex-Lifestyles members that do this stuff. But they left Lifestyles because they wanted, because they were greedy, and they wanted to be able to, number one, take larger percentages of the deal than we allowed to take. And number two, they wanted to be able to be the consultants themselves. All right, well, I hope you learned something today. And remember this, it's not the money, it's the Lifestyle. Have a wonderful day. Listening to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Want more of Dell's unconventional wisdom? Go to lifestylesunlimited.com and click the radio tab. Listen to past shows, hear podcasts on demand, and find out how you can change your life today. The Dell Wamsley Radio Show is part of the Lifestyles Unlimited Radio Network. The information and opinions you hear on the Del Wamsley Radio Show are those of the host, Del Wamsley, his guests, and his callers, and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of this station, its affiliates, its management, or advertisers. The Del Wamsley Show is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult a professional regarding your personal investment needs. Nothing presented on the Del Wamsley Show constitutes an endorsement, recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any product or security.